Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Moments with author, professor, and John Maxwell Certified Business and Executive Coach, David McNamee, President of Foundations for Leaders. This show is for anyone who wants to learn, grow, and do the hard work of becoming a better servant leader. Whether you're a veteran leader of people or you're just getting started with your career, we can all improve our leadership at work, at home, and in our communities. This week's show gives you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your servant leadership skills. And now, here's your host. Welcome to Leadership Moments, episode number two. I'm your host, David McNamee. In this episode, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce you to an old friend of mine. Lieutenant General Dana Atkins is a classmate of mine from our undergraduate days in Air Force ROTC at the University of Portland in Portland, Oregon. Atkins is a native of Portland. He earned his bachelor's degree in biology from the University of Portland and holds two master's degrees, one in aeronautical science from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and another in national security strategy from the National War College. He's a command pilot has more than 4,000 hours in fighter aircraft, and he's served in a number of key command and staff positions all over the world. But one of the assignments that he had that I, that I hope we get into in, in part of our conversation uh, was that he flew as a demonstration pilot for both the uh, European A-10 demonstration team and the uh, team that many of the listeners will recognize, if you've been to air shows around the country, you probably recognize the name, the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds. And so I'm hoping uh, General Atkins will talk about that a little bit. At the time of his retirement from the Air Force, uh, General Atkins wore three hats. Uh, he served as commander of Alaskan Command, 11th Air Force, and Alaskan North American Defense Region, all at Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska, which is uh, right next to Anchorage, Alaska, a place near and dear to my heart. That was also my last assignment uh, in the military. Matter of fact, if, if timing had been different, I might have been ended up working for Dana. Uh, Dana and his bride, Laura, were the 2004 recipients of the General and Mrs. Jerome F. O'Malley Award, which recognizes the wing commander and spouse whose contributions to the nation, the Air Force, and the local community best exemplify the highest ideals and positive leadership of a, of a military couple. Before uh, becoming the ninth president of the Military Officers Association of America, General Atkins served as president of Chronicle Media, a print and digital media company based in Augusta, Georgia, that serves the southeastern U.S. General, thank you so much for their taking time out of your schedule. It's a real honor to speak with you today. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, so let's get started on this today. You're, you're at MOA, the uh, Military uh, Officers Association of America, the, the big chair, as you put it. 
Um, and I'm not sure the listeners may know what MOA is, so I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about MOA and share some of your vision for the challenges that are facing MOA and where you think it might be headed. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, well, first of all, the big chair, that, that's not as I put it. That's actually as you put it. Um, I'm actually sensitive to that. You know, one of the things okay. that I've always done in, in kind of a leadership role is, is kind of re reconfigure my office. You know, a lot of times you'll go into, a, you know, the boss's office and there'll be a square table. And mm -hmm. I've always brought in round tables. Um, I've done that for a reason. I wanted everybody to feel like they're on kind of a, an equal footing. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a household where my dad sat at the head of the table and there was kind of this, you know, authority figure uh, that, that went with that. So I try to break down that as, as best I possibly can. So hopefully when you visit me in Washington, D.C., uh, you'll be able to sit at the round table with me and, and all the chairs are the same size. So uh, good on that, right? I'd love that, yeah. Um, well, listen, uh, yeah, I spent um, four years, as, as you mentioned, uh, in the private sector before uh, coming to MOA. Uh, and what, what, you know, I wasn't looking for a job. I was obviously um, very happy uh, as a president of a, of a media company. Um, but, but when the MOA position came available and I actually somebody um, reached out to me uh, to lead an organization that kind of leads our nation in the military and, and veteran uh, service organizations, mm -hmm. um, it, was, it, was, it was compelling for me to do that. What, what probably MOA does better than most um, is that we have a strong advocacy department here. We have 10 registered lobbyists on our staff uh, that really um, work with Congress and Department of Defense to make sure that earned benefits, veterans' earned benefits, uh, are in, you know, kept intact. I mean, every day you probably wake up and you see where, where either DOD or Congress has made proposals you know, to either um, you know, cap uh, annual pay raises, mm -hmm. uh, to adjust, um, for instance, health care costs or, or access to uh, entitlements that have been earned over a, a career of service to your nation. Mm -hmm. So we, we hopefully, and we do a good job of, uh, of trying to at least advocate on behalf of the veteran. And they, they can't do that, you know, as a singleton. Um, our organization has nearly 400,000 members, so obviously with 400,000 members, you're able to open up doors uh, in Congress that you wouldn't do, be able to do on your own. So um, we feel fairly strong about that. Um, MO is actually a, a not-for-profit. It's a 501c19. When you kind of look under the IRS rules, the C19 allows you to do that, that, that kind of advocacy um, uh, lobbyist activity. But we also have two 501c3 arms. We have a scholarship fund, and we give out about $12 million dollars uh, of grant and interest-free loans uh, to um, to students every year, and we also have another 501c3 arm called the MOA Military Family Initiative, which is kind of an agnostic arm uh, of our association. Um, by our bylaws, uh, we're an officer, uh, commissioned officer association, but but we also um, want to be able to contribute uh, to the enlisted force of the military as well as families and, and um, extended families of the military. So we've established this, um, this other, I would say, 501c3 arm of that as well. Um, you know, MOA is, is you know, our biggest challenge, and, and the challenge is probably the same for any other uh, veteran association, whether it's American Legion, Veterans of Foreign Wars, Disabled American Vets, you, know, you can name them. Uh, the, the, the challenge for us is really its membership, uh, trying to um, continue to grow our membership or sustain the membership that we have and fundraising. Um, you know, we have an aged membership uh, for whatever reason. I think one of my bigger challenges is trying to recruit, um, I would call it this newest generation, a younger generation, um, the millennials, 
um, who have kind of an affinity to not align themselves with mm-hmm. um, with membership type of associations. So, so that's a challenge. And then obviously donor support or fundraising. I mean, it's a very you know there's obviously um, probably some fatigue out there, donor fatigue, because with the veterans, uh, it's a very underserved aspect of our nation right now. And um, you know, um, you, you see it you know in the news every day. Veterans Administration, et cetera, you know, being kind of assaulted mm-hmm. for, uh, for lack of support. So we're trying to fill those voids as best we possibly can. And the other challenge that we have, I think, at MOA is um, we did a name change. Uh, back in 2002 and up until 2002, we were called the Retired Officers Association. So Taroa, as, yeah. As mm-hmm. I, yeah, as I do kind of my own, you know, kind of uh, analysis or, or surveys, I ask people, tell me what you know about the Military Officers Association of America, or if I say MOA, and they say, oh, isn't that the, the that retired officer organization? Well, in fact, it's not. In fact, it it, it, it serves equally uh, actively uh, serving service members. And so, uh, again, trying to break away from, I would say, just a stereotype um, that's still resident from 2002 is, is one of my challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the last thing, too, is, mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of resides. I mean, social media is such a, a big aspect of, of what almost all businesses do today. And because we have such a, well, I would say, diverse demographic in our membership, you know, I have to kind of invest in, um, you know, I'd like to go all in on, on smartphone, you know, the, the ability to put our platforms on smartphones. But I still have to host you know, what I call legacy platforms, and so make sure that our architecture here allows somebody who's still, you know, using predominantly desktop computer um, to get the same types of services and access as somebody who is running with, a, you know, with a brand new iPhone or something like that. Wow, that's an amazing, that's that's a quite a set of challenges you've got there. You're, you're dealing with uh, appealing to multiple generations, uh, trying to trying to reach out to uh, social media platforms that are just pro- proliferating on a right. daily basis. Um, what's the, what would you say? Is there a, a a common leadership element to that 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 kind of works across all of that? Well, I think that you know you have to come in here. I mean, I think you have to be fairly willing, you know, to kind of like open the aperture up. I mean, a lot of people come in here and, and have a kind of a, a set of ideas, you know, somebody like myself who comes in and takes over an organization, mm-hmm. you know, has kind of a set of ideas on, on, you know, what works for them. And traditionally, I think the biggest mistake people make is they try to leverage what has worked for them in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily work in the future. Um, and so, um, and I've, one of the things I've kind of, I think, you know, I would attribute some of my success is that I've had a willingness um, to kind of build strong teams, but then more importantly, let those teams, you know, kind of let them loose, um, let them, you know, kind of innovate and then experiment. Um, and in some cases, you know, experience failure, because I think failure is a strong contribution to success as well. Um, so, um so I think the big thing for me to do is, and I've done that right now, is kind of come in with a fairly, you know, um, open mind here uh, and willingness to try to try things. And, and what I'm really trying to do too is is to navigate my team here. We have mm-hmm. um, my my team is 84 employees uh, at at our kind of our headquarters level here, mm-hmm. is to get them to kind of get away from business as usual. I mean, there's a tendency to kind of 
um, you know, repurpose things that have worked in the past. And, and, I, and my sense is, is that we have to be, if you're going to be visionary, if you're really going to try to approach the future, then you have to be kind of futuristic in your thought and in, in some of your, um, in your execution strategies. And so, so we're trying to do some of that. I'm a very big proponent of video. Um, so um, we're doing a lot. I actually hired recently a, a videographer. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of that, you know, kind of one-minute, two-minute video, uh, and it's been very successful so far. We're just, I would say, we're just entering uh, that um, that chapter. Mm-hmm. But uh, but video has been very successful for us, and I've seen that in the past as well too. So um, I'm, I'm putting quite a few resources against that. Are you on uh, YouTube then, or we are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. In fact. I mean, again, we I mean, when I mentioned about trying to, you know, build revenue, um, obviously YouTube videos that go viral, if you can if you can get to that capacity, mm-hmm. have a great potential for, for revenue source through advertising as well. If uh, any of the listeners wanted to, to uh, see what's going on with MOA, where would they go? I think the best thing to do is, is to go to MOA.org, the www.moa.org, M-O-A-A.org. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with uh, Dana Atkins, the uh, CEO of Military Officers Association of America. We're going to take a short break with Dana and be right back. This is David McNamee with Leadership Moments on KKPZ 1330, The Truth. Want to grow your company? Listen to this. John C. Maxwell, New York Times bestselling author and leadership guru says, The only way to improve an organization is to grow and improve its leaders. If you want to make an impact, start with yourself. On Friday, October 7th, at the Camp Withycombe Armory, you can do just that. Portland will be one of a few hundred cities around the world to broadcast a new type of leadership experience. Live to Lead. Live to Lead is a half-day leadership experience packed with a lifetime of valuable content from the greatest leaders in the world. John Maxwell, Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy, leadership expert Liz Wiseman, and the eternal optimist Simon Sinek. Join an exclusive audience of over 200 leaders from the Portland metro area for this transformational experience. Learn how to lead internationally. Dream more, think more, do more, and become more. The only limit to your success is your willingness to invest in yourself and your organization. Tickets available at the North Clackamas Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Chamber of Commerce, and at Live to Lead Portland on eventbrite.com. This event is hosted by Foundations for Leaders, sponsored by the North Clackamas Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Chamber Northwest, and by KKPZ 1330 AM. The truth. Welcome back. This is Leadership Moments on KKPZ 1330, The Truth. I'm David McNamee, and my guest this week is Dana Atkins, CEO of MOA, the Military Officers Association of America. Hey, um, you you are one of the coolest guys I ever knew. I got to be honest <laughs> with you. So, uh, and then when you joined the Air Force, um, you got the wings and I got uh, the intelligence work. And you ended up on aerial demonstration teams, right. flying with some of the hottest pilots around. What's what's that like? You know, being a, a member of the Thunderbirds, first of all, you know, it's a privilege. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, something that I took lightly. I mean, our, our Air Force, our nation you know, put a lot um, a, a lot of trust in me uh, to basically present the Air Force uh, in the best possible light as we possibly could. You know, it's a recruiting mission, mm-hmm. uh, so hopefully 
we were, you know, enticing, um, you know, kind of the youth of today mm-hmm. uh, to consider a military career and, and more importantly, maybe consider the Air Force as, as, that, as, that, as that career path. Um, but, but I just learned so much, you know, when I was a Thunderbird. I, I, I know, you know, you kind of want to talk about leadership here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that it, the, the, the Thunderbirds, it's actually a relatively small team for as much as you do. It's got 12 officers and just over 100 enlisted support members who kind of, you know, kind of do that business. We, we did roughly 90 air shows a year. Um, we were on the road for about 225 days a year. Uh, so a lot of logistics challenges. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we flew every We never canceled an air show, you know, for, for maintenance. Um, you know, sometimes you cancel an air show because Mother Nature won't let you fly or, or something like that. But um, just a, a phenomenal team. And then, you know, you really learn a lot about leadership. And one of the things, and I share this story a lot, and I'm not going to, you know, call out the, the individual by name, but, mm-hmm. but to give you kind of just a leadership vignette, because one of the aspects about leadership kind of comes out of this. But, but we were doing an air show in 1989, K.I. Sawyer. It's a, it's a base I don't think is even exists anymore. It might have, you know, kind of fallen off the, the mm-hmm. brack file or whatever. But, but we were doing an air show in 1989, if you know anything about the Thunderbird Air Show, they kind of put the planes out, what they call the show line. You march down to your planes, you get in, start the engines, take the runway, and then you fly the, the aero demonstration show. And for whatever reason, a major uh, thunderstorm that included hail was coming through, so they, the maintenance team pulled the planes off the flight line, put them in hangars to protect them, and then once the thunderstorm passed, they brought the planes back out, and, and we did our air show. Mm-hmm. And one of the very first maneuvers, uh, and the maneuver is called Bonton Roulet, and, and what it is is the Diamond Pilot, uh, they spread about, you know, 100 feet apart. They do a simultaneous aileron roll that's about 100 feet off the ground, uh, and then they continue, you know, kind of a climbing maneuver. Well, our number four pilot, the slot position pilot, uh, during the aileron roll, almost hit the ground. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so he, you know, he calls, you know, the term that we use is knock it off, meaning something has gone wrong and we need to kind of separate ourselves and kind of sort out what's going on. So he climbs, he figures out that he had some sort of flight control problem with the plane. He's able to successfully land the plane, uh, take the spare aircraft, rejoin us, and we fly the entire air show. And then we landed and during the time that we were flying the air show, the maintenance team was able to kind of inspect that plane and figure out what had gone wrong. And what had gone wrong was that a particular switch, and, and these are what we call the red guarded switches, mm-hmm. a particular switch had basically been placed in a lockout position, and that switch was the leading edge flaps. And if you know anything about aerodynamics, um, leading edge flaps, what they do is they program out, they increase the camber of the wing of the aircraft to give it better lift qualities at low air speeds and high angles of attack. Well, well, the switch had locked the leading edge flap, so they didn't cycle out, and he didn't get the, the extra camber, the extra lift, and so the plane really did what it's supposed to do, fall out of the air, mm-hmm. you know, at high angles of attack and, and slow air speeds. And so um, we landed, and one of the things you do after you land is we call it the rundown. Um, and so each pilot runs down, shakes the hand of the commander leader. You kind of stand in formation, and then you walk over to a crowd line where you meet the crowd, sign mm-hmm. autographs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm the number two pilot uh, on the plane. The left wingman position is number two. So I'm the first guy to run down. As I run down to the commander leader, um, he, he actually turned his back to me and started walking away. And I was kind of confused. So I just kind of held my position 
But then he continued to walk over to the senior enlisted uh, maintenance um, member of the team. You know, basically, it's the line chief. And in front of a crowd of estimated over 100,000 people, just laid into him um, and, and kind of just chastised him and, and because he found out what had happened. And, and that switch, believe it or not, because of the way we, we do our show and, and stuff, that switch was supposed to be set and validated by that person. So obviously they missed a check, mm-hmm. which could have cost a person his life, in fact. Um, but but what, it, what really happened was, um, was this lack of composure, this public display of lack of composure. And from that point on, even though that individual was the leader, the commander leader on paper, mm-hmm. um, he, he lost the leadership role. In fact, you know, we informally... Um, looked to the operations officer at that time to be our leader. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we were still publicly polite in, in protocol. And so not an, an officer or enlisted on the team for the remainder of that year um, looked to that person, you know, as the leader, simply from one failure of, of, of composure. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I think it kind of reinforces. And, and when people ask me then, you know, what, what are some attributes, you know, for leadership, I always always – Ask them this question. Tell me who your favorite boss was. And, and people right away can just tell you right away within seconds of who that person is. And then I'll say, tell me what he or she did that made them your favorite boss. Tell me three things that they did that made them your favorite boss. And, and often, you know, it's the, it's the same answers all the time that, that you would give. And, and I, you know, when I say, who's my favorite boss? Um, I say Mark Welsh. I don't know if that name resonates with you. He just retired this last week, but he was the chief of staff of the Air Force. Right. He, yeah. He he was he was um, I flew with him uh, early in my career, but he was my boss um, when I was uh, in a uh, in a tour in Korea, and so I was with him for a year in in a, a remote environment. So you get really um, to know somebody personally. But but I would tell you the three things that I remember from him. Uh, one is that he always acknowledged your presence. So whether he walked by you in the hallway or out on the street or whatever it was, you know, he would say, you know, hey, Dana, how's it going today? I mean, mm-hmm. people have this innate desire, you know, to at least be recognized, particularly if it's somebody who is superior to them. Um, the next thing I say is he always knew what you were doing in the organization. He, he just had this understanding of what your contributions were. And, again, it, 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 you know, that was important, you know, to me. And then the last thing was composure. I never, ever saw him, you know, kind of lose his temper um, publicly um, or even privately. He just had a remarkable sense of composure, which I think reinforced, you know, his quality uh, as a leader. But, but I trace that all the way back to 1989 when, when I saw yeah. what, what lack of composure can do to somebody who actually was, was held in a high responsible leadership position. Those, are, those were two great stories and it and it says a lot about not only what great leaders can do for us but what poor leadership can do and and in this case i I think your example is is one where the leader kind of we we talk about leadership not as a position but leadership as a as a as an influence right and that person the what the the person that uh, was leading your thunderbirds lost his influence right. because he lost composure. He lost your trust, lost the confidence of the team and everything else. Uh, General Welsh apparently uh, was just the opposite. 
by doing the things that he did that were authentic, by acknowledging people, by knowing what you were doing, by maintaining composure, he, he, he maintained that baseline of trust that's so essential to leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, we, we have actually just a few minutes left in the, in the, uh, the interview. What would be, if, for you, what would be a, a bottom-line um, value, leadership value that you'd want to pass on to somebody else? If you were mentoring them, what would be a bottom-line value you'd want, you'd want to pass along? Well, when I when I try to mentor leadership, um, what I what I always tell everybody that, and again, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. that that leadership is a it's a learned skill. I mean, I think people. So there's have, no born leaders. Uh, no, I don't think so. I okay. mean, I, that's that's mm-hmm. my that's that's my take. I mean, I think people have what I would call attributes mm-hmm. that contribute to to strong leadership. Um, but the really great leaders are the ones who have taken the time to reflect you know, throughout the course of their careers or their lives on examples of great leadership and and failed leadership, Mm -hmm. and then try to apply those, not imitate, but emulate those kind of, you know, kind of things throughout their life. Um, And so I, you know, I kind of, I try to tell everybody, um, you know, that, um, you know, I I think one of the things that I I try to reinforce, too, is um, is that, uh, you know, that I guess one of the things you know I, I learned a long time ago um, is that that leaders themselves can make mistakes. Um, so when you when you look at somebody, don't think that you know they're going to be 100% perfect for everything that they do. Uh, I you know had a chance to, to talk to, uh, to certainly young airmen, and I would always get off the stage, and I would look them in the eyes, and I'd say, you know what, I haven't done anything in my life that I wouldn't share with my mom, my boss, my wife, or my pastor. Oh, let me see. And then you kind of see their heads nodding in, in, in you know, affirmative. Uh, then I said, oh, except maybe when I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, and what I, what I tried to, to enforce then is that, that I've made mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and in fact, there probably are things within, you know, the chapter of my life, you know, that maybe I didn't share with my mom or my boss or my pastor. Um, and I want them to know that, you know, that, that, that leaders, you know, they acknowledge their mistakes and they certainly learn from those mistakes. One guy told me a long time ago, Dana, if you just left your led your life by the seventy five percent or the seventy five cent rule, um, you, you'll be fine. And I, I looked at him, and I, I finally had to say, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the seventy five cent rule is. Uh, it happened to be um, I was told that in nineteen eighty six, and in nineteen eighty six, a telephone call cost twenty five cents. And he said, if you're about to do something, if you will just make three phone calls, one to your wife, one to your boss, and one to your pastor. And tell them what you're about to do. If they all agree, then you need to give it 100, you know, and, and 10%, you know, to whatever you're going to do. But if one of them questions what you're about to do, uh, then you should probably abstain. Um, and you know, kind of, you think about that. You think about things in your life that you know maybe you wish you hadn't have done or, or would have done differently. And and really, those three phone calls would have resolved that. Um, and, and so I've kind of tried to live my life at least as best I can with that 75 cent rule once I found out what it was. That's great stuff. General Atkins, uh, Dana, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this winds up our, our interview. I wish we had more time to do this. Maybe we should get together and do this again. Yeah, Dave, I, I, first of all, I just love the fact that, um, you know, that you reached out to me. I love the fact that we could reconnect after almost nearly 40 years. Um, 
And then I'm going to get off the line with telling you one thing, too. Um, General Peter Pace, who was the chairman when I was on the joint staff, was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, he had a saying that, that I always remember, too, and that is, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. I love it. Thank you so much. Dave, thank you. Good talking to you. You as well. Take care, Dana. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Leadership Moments with David McNamee. You can schedule an appointment with David by calling 971-204-0373 or email him at dmcnamee at foundationsforleaders.com. David has a wide variety of resources to help you, and you can find those resources at www.foundationforleaders.com. Take the time to call David this week or contact him through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or email. And join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. for Leadership Moments right here on KKPZ, 1330 a.m., The Truth. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.